0: Oh, and welcome to the Thinking Knot Podcast. I'm Cap, and I'm once again joined remotely by my good friend A. Charles. So good to see you again, Charlie, even if over the internet. Uh, it's nice that technology allows us to do this remotely, but I'd sure prefer it if you were sitting across from me. So maybe, uh, maybe next week. That's our
1: hope. That's for sure
0: good well just so our listeners understand why we've been recording remotely today is a little bit different because you just got back from a trip but as i have suggested in one of our previous podcasts uh, i caught COVID, so i quarantined for five days isolated for five days and then uh, thought i was in the clear and had a relapse which worked out to be just perfectly timed. So I would give COVID to my son. And now four weeks later, we're finally clear of COVID. And, you know, it wasn't it wasn't bad. But uh, out of an abundance of caution, we've been housebound for for weeks. And Charlie and I have been doing this remotely. But here's the part of the story that I want to make sure our listeners hear, Charlie, because in the midst of my relapse, Charlie made a special delivery of well wishes from him and from some of our friends, all written, and listeners, you'll appreciate this, all written on color-coded index cards, (laughs) which was the (laughs) funniest thing I saw in weeks. So thank you to you and the others, Charlie, for thinking of me and presenting me with uh, notes that were so brightly colored for my OCD brain. I really appreciated that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You're ever so welcome. There's the least we could do. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, today I thought we'd try, to, um, we'd try a topic that's ripped from the headlines or maybe more accurately ripped out of my Apple News Feed. Charlie, I, I read an article about 11 truths your therapist wants you to know. And normally I would pass right by on this type of an article without reading it, but something clicked and I saw the headline and I thought to myself, I wonder how these truths Mesh with Charlie's approach to life, so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to see how you feel about these eleven truths and talk about how they relate to some of the things that uh, we discuss in the podcast. So, are you uh, are you ready to to, uh, dish some wisdom,
1: Charlie? (laughs) No, 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 no. Come on, you come on. Are you ready to throw a (laughs) no-hitter? I don't think so. (laughs) You talk and wisdom comes out. That's just the way Uh. it works. No like, <laughs> I, I just said to myself, I sit down and you know what comes out. <laughs> well
0: I can not like go that. any
1: further into that. Yeah, well like that. Uh I've I've
0: found that wisdom is a dish best served warm and with a side of humor. So <laughs> Forget about it. <laughs> That's the same way I like my espresso. So, Charlie, let's grab a cup of coffee and chat. The Thinking Knot is a podcast developed to help those who are trying to become better, a little bit better today than yesterday. It is an honest dialogue about the real-life challenges we each encounter as intention meets obstacle in the course of an every day. In our conversation, we weigh rational thought against our gut feeling of what is right, and we forge a path together using what is in our hearts if we can all just awaken and get into rhythm with that beat. Thanks for joining today's discussion. As I mentioned in the open, we're going to be discussing an article that I spotted on Apple News, and it comes from a publication called Red. Now, I've never heard of Red before, but apparently it's a UK-based publication that's described this way, Charlie. Red is the inspirational lifestyle edit for smart, confident women, full of gorgeous fashion, expert beauty advice, inspirational, entertaining ideas, culture guides, plus intelligent writing on issues that matter to you. So naturally, Charlie, us being old men, not particularly fashionable and having limited intelligence, I thought this magazine was a perfect fit for our discussion today.
1: You would. (laughs) (laughs) Only me. I feel like a fish out of water. I'm like like, Okay.
0: Hey, I, thought, I thought I thought
1: was qualified to talk about <laughs> <this stuff? laughs>
0: the articles about 11 things that your therapist presumably wants you to know, and more specifically, what they wish we understood about human emotions. So, wow. actually, you know, we talk a lot about feelings on this podcast, and I thought it'd be interesting to see what you think about these 11 things. I understand.
1: Can you can you you acknowledge Mr. Magician over here? Can you acknowledge to the listeners that I have not read this article? You have not talked to me about this article before. You've never no strings attached to this whatsoever. So I am really, really operating without a net. Wait a
0: minute, wait a minute. Are (laughs) you are you trying to are you trying to pull one over on the (laughs) listeners and say that you don't read red on a normal week to week basis?
1: I don't even know how to spell it. <laughs> I don't know if it's R-E-D, R-E-A-D, R-E-D-D. It's R-E-D, it yeah. With?
0: It's it's uh-uh. the color. It's like the color. Okay. So, right. no,
1: I don't go to red.
0: Okay. <laughs> well, let's start with the first item. So, yes. number one is remember that fine is not a feeling. So, presumably, when somebody asks you how you're doing, and you say, fine, what this therapist is telling you is that fine is not a feeling. And I actually thought, Charlie, that this would resonate with you because you're fr- you frequently talk about how you respond when someone asks you how you're doing. Uh, and I think you even talked about it on the podcast before. But the point in this piece of advice is that we need to be in touch with our feelings and we need to be open to sharing what we're really feeling with others. So use a word that more accurately describes your feeling, whether that's peaceful or happy or excited or scared. What does, does this one resonate with you?
1: No. And uh, for a very simple uh, feeling that I had, which is any word you use is as good a starting place for your feelings as any other. So if you say you feel fine, all I do is say, oh, describe that for me. What is what is fine feeling for you right now? What are, what are the ingredients of fine? So you can use any word you want if I'm willing to lean in. If I just say, I really just asked to be polite, and you just gave me a superficial, polite, fine answer, and that was sufficient for me and you didn't look like you wanted to pursue it anymore, then that's just civil discourse. That's not, you know, uh, a therapy session. You see, like the therapist will say, well, don't use fine in therapy. But I don't have therapeutic relationships with everybody in my life. So fine is a sufficiently good answer for a more casual exchange. If it's a callous exchange, if it's somebody I should care more than just casually about, fine is a brush off or an avoidance. But I can't tell that the the word itself for me is neutral. I want everyone to feel safe to use whatever word they want, and we can get into your feelings from there.
0: Don't you, didn't you uh, talk about how when somebody asks you how you're doing, you say, I don't know?
1: Yes, but that's (laughs) not fine. I know. (laughs) And and sometimes I'll say, I may be the last to know. I feel like I'm okay, but you tell me, how am I doing? (laughs) So, so I just, uh, and that's the other thing. Like when you use some suggestive words, like, of how I'm feeling, those are labels. They don't tell me really what you mean by shame or what you mean by tired or what you mean. So tired in what way? Physically tired, emotionally tired, mentally tired? I don't know any of these words, what they mean to you when you use them. I have to ask contextually, what does that word mean to you right now in this moment as you just used it to me? And that's how I show you I care.
0: So when somebody that you know well and that you clearly care about says, "Uh, I'm doing okay today, then Mm -hmm. that to you is an opportunity to probe a little bit and see if they want to talk about anything. So you you may say, oh, well. How OK are you or what do you what do you mean by OK and give them an opportunity? And if they don't want to talk about it, then they'll you'll sense that in what they say next.
1: Well, it, that's an entry level relationship. I thought you just said I had a good relationship yeah. with somebody. At yeah. Well, then when they say uh, I'm OK, I'll say something that I know that they weren't OK about recently. And I'll say, so how has things gone with your son or how are things gone with that job interview or how are things gone? So I'll know how to follow up with where they perhaps weren't OK recently or had a question mark or a decision or a choice. So my follow through is more specific because we're close. I already know information. But if I don't know what's really going on with your life, that's when I ask the more safe and, and gentle, but probative type of question where I lean in a little bit to see if you want to open up a little bit. However you want to do this, you set the pace, you set the tone, you te- i read your temperature, and I'll do as much or as little of anything that you are comfortable with. My job is not to make you uncomfortable as I get to know you. My job is to get to know you. And then if you open up to me about something you're not comfortable about, then we'll lean into that together. But we'll do it comfortably because you've already found me to be safe enough to open up to, not because I made you open up, because you felt safe enough to open up.
0: Uh, You know, one of the things that I have always admired about you is Uh that you, (laughs) you, always take the time even when you don't necessarily have it you always take the time to try to probe a little or to give people an opportunity so you know i think part of the reason why there are not a lot of meaningful discussions in the real world is because people feel so rushed and they are scared that if they take a moment to probe it may turn into a half an hour conversation and i can count on probably one finger or two fingers the times where you have allowed me to open up a little bit or somebody else i've seen you do it with other people also but um, I can count, you know, on one or one finger or two fingers the times where you've said, can we talk about this? Can I give you a call later today and talk about it? I've got to be somewhere, but I really am interested in hearing what you mean by that. And, you know, usually you'll sit there for as long as somebody wants, wants to talk. And I think that's really admirable. You know, we we need to make time particularly for the people that are meaningful in our lives but we need to make time for those types of conversations
1: if you mean by need that it is better for me as a human being uh, like i need to eat i need to uh, brush my teeth so my breath doesn't so if it's that kind of need because I need to connect on real levels.
0: Yes, that's that kind of need. The need okay. to connect. Yes. That's what I Because I know life you well is richer. Life is richer when you have those connections.
1: Yes. And if I'm going, let's say, it's a difference between going through a, a fast food drive through or sitting down and having a meal with somebody, there's a difference. Your, your stomach's going to get full. You'll get the information, yada, 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 that you kind of need to just keep going. But you don't get the, the feeling of having enjoyed both the food and the time and the conversation, so that when you get up, you feel nourished. And we're, that's why we all say we're starving for connection. But connection isn't like at gigabytes a second. It's well, it is, but you need to be in front of each other to exchange all of that information effectively.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to number two, which is your stress response is telling you something. So this particular therapist says to listen to uh, what your response is to stressors. And I thought this was kind of interesting because this particular therapist suggested that our past experiences even past traumas impact how we subconsciously respond to stressors so we have learned a response when we are feeling threatened perhaps or when we're feeling uh, nervous uh, because of something that has happened in the past and She says, understanding how we're programmed to respond to stress can help us to rewire our response and focus how we're feeling in that moment instead of worrying what's happened in the past or what's going to happen in the future. So, being in the present rather than thinking, oh, this, I recognize some signals here. This is what happened, you know, years ago when something similar was said to me uh, or worrying about okay what's going to happen tomorrow if i continue down this this line of conversation <clears throat> so first of all have you have you seen past trauma influence how people respond to stress do they have you s- noticed that they uh, almost hey, hey, become
1: hey. hardwired <clears throat> No. I wish this. Would. I can't do this in a binary fashion, so forgive me. I have to say no, and then I have to say, but no is not really the answer. What I've found is that unexamined trauma, unhealed trauma, calcifies and becomes a grooved pattern response. So, um, in that regard, we we get etched into a certain neural pathway or, or, or e- even a thought pathway. Like when I have the picture of that person, I have these feelings attached to that picture. Or if I have that memory show up, I have all that emotion associated with that memory vision. And it could be just a scene, you know, but all of the emotional content that I supplied or extracted from that scene um, stays intact until I start to realize there was more there than what just I felt. My camera angle was just one aspect of that experience. A lot of times I just think it is the only one I should be paying attention to because it's mine. You know, like I keep running through life, wondering and and trying to figure out what I should be feeling about what I'm feeling. And I can't be doing that while I'm still feeling new feelings all the time. It's just like it's just too fast. I'm running behind to catch up. So that's where you mentioned how we leapfrog in time. We go to a past experience hoping to anticipate some wisdom I can apply to this moment. But by the time I get there, this moment's already changed. And so I'm like not really in this moment. I'm jumping all around it thinking, well, OK, if I can't know what to do here, where can I want it to go? So then I jump to the future. Like, how can I lead this somewhere where I think it should go? All right. So. All I'm doing is just like confusion. It's that cloud of uncertainty. And what I'm not is clear. Like, I'm here right now. Are they a threat to me? Are they attacking me? And if I'm having a talk with somebody that I'm close to or care about, that sense of threat or, or not being safe with this person is what I would like to address with. First, within myself, what, what would make me not feel safe with this person? That's my issue. I'd like to get clear about that. And then when I have clarity in me, I come and talk to you like, can we clean this up a little bit? I have some confusion and some you know, uncertainty about this aspect of how we interact. And so gotcha. we clean it up. Yep. You know, we clean it up and it heals. And that's what I mean by healing and we feel safe again you know it could have been a topic it could have been a moment an event a look but we go and 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 we trust that we care so let's lean in caringly to clear this up now if it's a traumatic event like from early on um i can lock it down so deep because it's so white hot painful yes that I consider it a a, 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 tr- a trauma, a true trauma. And there's no doubt about it. It has emotionally impacted me in such a way that it shut a part of me down. And I've locked it down because I just, I couldn't bear the pain that came with it. Now I don't even know necessarily what that pain is because I just shut it down. Just shut it down. It was too white hot and I just was able to go, nope. And I, Whatever I did, maybe I started exercising. Maybe I started uh, excelling in scholastics. Maybe I started, I don't know. Maybe I got depressed. Maybe I withdrew. Something happens as a result of shutting that down that alters some of my experiences. In life now, I start channeling my energies around that pain. So I don't have to look at it. So anything that comes close to that pain, I steer away from, whether it's in my thoughts or in my other relationships. Anything that looks like what was just painful, I, go, I, I give it a wide berth. And so I never really learn about that pain or what that pain was from. And so I just keep pretend, and that circle gets bigger and bigger. And that's what develops into pathology and neurosis. That circle of protecting that inner core trauma becomes bigger. And so my whole life gets centered around that trauma until I get someone who loves me enough to help me. And it doesn't have to be a professional, but most people just go, he's like, or she's like, I don't know what to say to them. But a professional with... A caring professional, not just any professional with a degree on the wall, but a caring professional will n- not apply a theoretical approach to their client, but a holistic approach to their client. I don't want to make you fit a hypothesis or a theory of my psychology for what your trauma is. I want to open you up safely and professionally, therapeutically, at a pace that you can manage, but, but in an environment that you know is trained and hopefully um, is going to help you heal. Now, I've mentioned this before. It's difficult when I'm paying for that kind of uh, environment, healing environment. There's a part of me that always feels like, do they really care? Or are they just pretending to care because I'm paying?
0: And do, as a patient, do they need to? I, I understand there needs to be a level of trust. Does there need, do they need to feel that that is a caring person?
1: Yes, yes, yes. Because it's the caring that allows the healing. It's not just the, you know, the craftsmanship of the therapist it's the caring of the therapist coupled with their skill set it, but it's the caring that has to come through and that's the healing part the therapies just allows and not to uh, allows the therapist to get past the defenses that are going to necessarily be thrown up it's you know it's so difficult for people
0: to find therapy these days because Mm -hmm. there's just not enough people out there helping uh, or trained to help and so it you know it really presents a challenge for somebody who needs that trusting person and that person that is doing it from a caring point of view because they don't have a lot of choice it's it's hard to decide that you're going to Move in a different direction and go to another therapist because it could be months before you get in to see anybody. So it's a challenging environment for those types of things. But we are going to come back and talk a little bit about trauma towards the end of the discussion
1: uh, today. Kat, before we move forward, I I do want to, on an overall uh, general note, people um, caring people don't have to be. Trained therapist in order to help people heal what they and, and people are doing this all the time when we talk about changing therapists or finding the right therapist this is a high-end uh, problem most people don't uh, can't afford therapists what i've been asking uh the people that i have worked with is to carry this forward like don't just say okay i feel better but what helped you to feel better will help your friend to feel better, too. Pay it forward. Just pay it forward. Pay it forward. And this is how I feel like it is a ground up. Not not everybody can get to therapy. But not, you don't need a therapist in order to heal. You need somebody who cares. And if you're starting to heal, the next person next to you may not even know what little you know about healing so just pay forward what you know not your theory but what you're feeling and what you're actually doing just pay that to the next person who looks a little stuck you know this is what's helped me just this little bit like and you say like i don't know a lot i'm just starting this too but i feel a little better and this is what somebody helped me to see yeah i guess
0: yeah you know i I I hear you say that, and my hesitation is I think that that is fine for things that don't involve some of those past traumas that you were talking about, where they're white hot and they've shut off whole parts of their
1: being because I get it. right? I get it. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. It's that's that's not necessarily for the but the lay person is not going to get to that white hot spot straight away. But they have to be willing to just. Get into a little bit of a dialogue so that whatever they're learning, the other person has an opportunity to learn. Like if I had a glass of water and 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 you were still um, parched, I couldn't unless i were like completely i give you some of what i have i I may not have a lot but we see this all the time when you don't have a lot you still share half of what you got that's huge yeah so so even if i don't know a lot and i give you just a little bit of what i got you feel like somebody cares at, at entry level caring not like High levels therapy caring, caring, just like really entry level caring, and we get some healing from that because part of my trauma is I don't think anybody really cares.
0: Yeah, no, I yeah, I I get that, and okay, yeah, I understand. Thanks. All right, so the third thing on this list is kind of funny, but uh, in some ways, in some ways, it reminds me of you because it runs counter to traditional thinking, and it's this: daily ingratitude is is essential. So here's what here's what this therapist says. He says, in an era of toxic positivity and demand for constant gratitude it's important that we find ways to counter it. We need to balance. And then this therapist goes on to suggest we write a list of the things that make us miserable and furious and divide the list into things we can control and things we can't with the hope that we make peace with those things that we can't control. So, Charlie, you know, um, this made me laugh just because sometimes the things you say run very counter to traditional thinking but do you believe that there's value in taking the time to recognize the things we can't control in life and in some effort to gain a modicum of peace
1: yes of course i i believe that control is an illusion altogether and um With a sense of uh, control, I try to uh, steer. And when I'm steering, I am working on my unrecognized and unconscious biases. That's, um, again, unless you're really awake to yourself and and in touch and, and, and genuine and real. Then those biases are minimalized, not you know negated entirely. Because I can't. It's, it's like I talked to you about male white privilege to come to that realization in my fifties, uh, um, because of shifting cultural awarenesses as well. Yep. Great, great. I, you know, I I did what I could when I could, and that's what happened. And here I am. I enjoy an offbeat angle or approach as a way of getting someone's attention. Now, they got my attention with what they said. Yeah. But then what they said after that, it really disturbed me. It's disturbing. Um, because the, they seem to think that being positive is a command. It's not a command. It's a choice. They seem to think like... Excessive positivity is just as uh, grinding as excessive negativity. And it's just like, I'm not asking you to be uh, positive. I'm asking you to look for what nurtures you, what you enjoy, what makes you smile, what fulfills you, and move in that direction in your choices of life, not under the commandment of positivity, but under the reward of enrichment.
0: So if somebody's a miserable sob, but it makes them happy, then they should continue doing that.
1: <laughs> that was a kiss off sign. I don't know if that was <laughs> communicated effectively enough. <laughs> okay. What? You want me to answer that? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> That's all
0: right. You you did answer it in your I own did. way. They just the audience uh can't can't. It was uh, didn't not my middle benefit. finger. It was not my middle finger. It
1: wasn't a, a F off. It was a lip gesture outward, which is like stop, stop this. Is, don't do this.
0: <laughs> all right, all right. We'll move on. All right. Thank so the you. fourth and fifth things are. Uh, very related. So the fourth one is emotions can stem from physical pain. And so this therapist suggests that emotions are anchored in the body and that physical things that we might not be paying not, might not be paying attention to can trigger emotions. So, you know, the way I look at this, Charlie, is we're probably all familiar with how when you're dog tired, it makes us more impatient. Um, I know pain can make me grumpy. So the idea here is to explore our physical state when we notice that emotions are making us feel different than normal.
1: Sure. Sure. But what I want to just, again, clarify from my point of view is that my physicalness and my emotions are linked, but my emotions are not. Uh, located in my sensations.
0: No, 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 no. She used okay. the word anchored, but yeah. yeah,
1: but no, no. My emotions are fluid. My emotions are everywhere, and uh, like I said, so uh, can can my sensations or my physical energy levels affect my emotions? That's as normal as can clouds affect the weather. It's like right. yeah, okay. That's not profound. I'm waiting for them to tell me something that's something profound.
0: Yeah. Well, this, this next one's not going to be it either because it's the corollary of the last one, which is emotions cause physical pain. So our physical state can impact our emotions, but our emotions can impact us physically. So anybody that's ever been depressed knows that feeling sad or down makes us tired and more lethargic, right? So there's a similar,
1: Cap, it's even worse than that. If I'm feeling down or negative, I can look at a pimple on my face and say, "Oh, that's probably going to be cancer." I mean, it's it's really something that goes, you know, like my knee just hurt. Oh, geez, I'll probably have to get it replaced. There's a negative emotional mind uh, or, or heart set that then anything I look at, any ache or pain, becomes like the beginning cascade of more negativity. So it's, it's really toxic syndrome uh, internally. When I'm emotionally uh, locked down in negativity, then I, I, everything that physically I'm feeling is just the beginning of something else that's going to be negative. Something else. Yep. I, got a, I, got a, I got a letter from the IRS. Oh, oh. I probably owe a million dollars in taxes. It's just like, no, they're just telling me X, Y, and Z, or, you know, whatever it is they're telling me, unless I'm Trump. And then I'll probably have a billion dollars in taxes. So, sorry. Yes, yes,
0: yes. I'm sorry. Okay, Mark that spot for editing.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, Charlie, I, related to this, I know that you have some experience in helping people work through addiction. And so a couple of questions here. So one is, how do you define addiction? Is it a type of emotion? Where does addiction live within our body? Is it just a physical need? So where does it live? So that's question number one. And then question number two is, when people are struggling with an addiction that they're trying to break, uh, my understanding is that they there are some physical symptoms that come from from that. How do you help with that kind of mind body connection?
1: Assuming they want help, yes, yeah, um, then. First of all, we make sure that they're stable physically. You know, it, it's first things first. Take care of the basics. Make sure they're warm. Make sure they're uh, fed. Make sure they feel safe in, in whatever environment they're in. Um, as best we can provide it, it's going to be rudimentary, no doubt about it. But you know, it can be still safe and and and, and warm enough. Um, and and but the idea. Here is once you, you get them uh, back to some sense of physically uh, stable, then the issues that had them wanting to do uh, escapism or, or uh, addiction behavior uh, will resurface. Because addiction is a reaction to chronic something. Something that has uh, it, it has a physical component with some ingredients. But you ask me, what is addiction? And, and it's not just a physical component. Addiction is when I am doing something against my will. When I cannot stop myself. Like when I'm OCD or right. when I'm whatever it is that I like. It's it's it's. I know I don't want to be doing this and I'm doing it against my will.
0: And it doesn't have to be a substance. As you say, it could be shopping. It could be, yeah, whatever.
1: It could be checking my bank account. It could be a million different things. I said, there's no reason for me to do this. And yet I, I should stay off Spotify. I should stay off this. I should, whatever it is, I should not play as many video games. Whatever it is that I'm doing against my will, is uh, addiction of sorts. Now, some are debilitating and life-threatening, and some are just life-disruptive and relationship-harmful. And my quality of life suffers because my self-esteem suffers when I can't. Okay, so that's the cascade of addiction, is doing something that I know better than, and I can't not do it anyways.
0: All right. More on that uh, some other time because it's um it is an okay. interesting topic
1: <laughs> uh,
0: so the sixth suggestion is that supplements can improve your mood and here they're saying that B vitamins as an example have been shown to reduce stress and improve stress recovery and Charlie I'm personally wary of supplements that don't have the right kind of clinical research performed. But if they work for somebody and have no harmful effects, then then that's fine. But what's what's your take on this one?
1: Honestly, we are learning more all the time, but I still can't necessarily trust what they're telling me about these things. So I have to be open and still discerning. I have to be willing to investigate without needing like hard and fast, promised. You know, I, I can't be that strict in my due diligence uh, because then nothing will ever be demonstrably 100% guaranteed. Nothing. But what I want to do is feel for it. You know, would I like to at least try it on my own and see how it works? So, I have a very holistic approach of trial and error, even as I am listening to new products come to market or new information come out. I'm willing to admit that I don't know everything, if anything. So I relax. I don't go seeking for a magic bullet to fix me because I have a process in place that already has me grounded and fine. But am I open to continuing to grow and learn so I can pass on what I've learned to somebody else or I can listen to their experience and say that sounds interesting so that we're collaborative and cooperative and you can try this and tell me about it or I can try that and tell you about it. But it's all firsthand experience. It's not like who's going to try the first uh, escargot. Oh, I know. Get Mikey. He eats anything, (laughs) you know, (laughs) so. There are we are all guinea pigs in our own way. But when we when we talk about what we tried and what honestly happened, we all benefit. We all benefit. Because I'll trust you over any article I read. If you tell me you tried something and, and it worked for you, I, that's gold. You know, I'll say, okay. If it worked for him, more than likely it'll work for me if certain still things line up, but I I'm much more inclined to try it if a good friend of mine has tried it.
0: All right. Well, the seventh thing that therapists want us to know is similar to the mind body connection we discussed earlier, and it's that microaggressions can manifest in the body. So, this particular psychotherapist says that these harmful incidents can cause anxiety, erode self worth, and leave us feeling disconnected from our bodies. So, she suggests we re engage with our body. Through a breathing exercise. And we've talked before, Charlie, about meditation and breathing. Uh, I I have two things here. One is just uh, understanding how you deal with stressful situations. Do you go back to your breathing and your training through meditation to deal with something that may come up? And then also, You know, she talks about microaggressions. And I think in this article, she was specific about uh, racial microaggressions. But the truth is, particularly in a social media world, there are microaggressions that happen all the time, whether it's a comment on something you post, whether it's a thumbs down. Uh, And so to me, there's something more that we need to do than breathe. You know, we almost need to uh, and you can't necessarily control racial microaggressions. I'm not trying to suggest that. But I think for a lot of people who come across microaggressions that are perhaps not racial, there are things they can do to limit their exposure to some of that.
1: And whatever helps you to be mindful in the moment of how harmful these microaggressions are towards you, towards you, because the other person may not even notice them, but they're harmful to me. They're like free radicals running around trying to like disrupt something in, inside me, and I want to pay attention to them. When I'm in microaggressions, I'm in many judgments. I'm doing many like little condemnations or many little irritations or many little executions. Like, Oh, that was stupid. Oh, that was wrong. Oh, that shouldn't have happened. Oh, that son of a gun. Uh, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, yes. these are the mini microaggressions or, you know, it's just like, it's, it's just, you know, it's just an attitude that, uh, I'm and we call it chip on the shoulder. We call it whatever, but you know I'm already predisposed to be prickly, and that's the stress and the anxiety and the and the living in uh, my own toxicity, based on my uh, not willing uh, to be uh, fooled or taken advantage of or or labeled. You know I'm not uh, I'm not prejudiced. You know, and and, and and it's like nobody's walking around labeling you. And if they are, that's their issue. If you're not prejudiced, don't worry about it. Just act accordingly. Yep. Just act accordingly. Don't take it personally. You're just not prejudiced. And if they try to make you prejudiced, you just say, oh, I know a lot of me looks like that. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I just happen to be white. Sorry.
0: All right, let's move on to number eight, which is love is often unsexy. <laughs> so I kind of like this one because <laughs> the uh, the psychologist who wrote it says that love is about action, not just the oxytocin rush. Now, I know you to be somebody who loves fully, and I've seen how you prioritize your significant other. We've never really gotten into relationship advice um on the podcast or maybe the right phrase is relationship signals that you see but um what what do you have to share on this one charlie
1: i think love's the sexiest thing on the planet (laughs) i just do now does love always involve sex heck no that's you know that's the confusion But when you are coming from a place of love, it's, it's like, it's juicy. It's great. It's, it's really sexy. It makes life like steamy and juicy and fun and interesting and playful and intriguing. And, oh, it just goes on and on and on when you're coming from a place of love. Now, if you think it's not sexy to do the dishes, with somebody you really care for, you, you, you're just focusing on the dishes. That's where, you know, bring the love in. And then all of a sudden the dishes become an opportunity to playfully, not sex, There's nothing yeah. about sex. But you can be playful around the dishes and, and loving and fun. And, and it's not a chore. It's just something that life involves. I do the dishes. I wash my clothes. I take a bath. I mow the lawn. I walk the dog. I pick up poop, and I—I I have a life. It's love. It's all love. That's- yeah, yeah. No,
0: I—I um—I think there's a lot of us. If cooking, as an example, I mean, there's a lot of us who mm-hmm. use cooking as a way to. To show our love to our family, right? And yeah, It, it um, is a love language. The, yeah. the walk with the dogs every day is, uh, you know, the love for the pet. And so, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I do think that her bigger message and not necessarily bigger, but her message was specific to there is that moment when you fall in love and then there's the reality of every day and the ups and downs that happen in in every day uh, but i like your message that if you look at those ups and downs as coming from a place of love and caring uh, it makes them less mundane
1: right or routine or forgettable or ignorable I. I Again, whatever it is you're doing, if you're doing it caringly and lovingly, you're going to enjoy it more. So I would like to enjoy life more. I Color me greedy for that kind of experience. Yeah. Okay. Bring it on. But I'm not grabby for it. I'm just open to it.
0: Yeah. Good. Uh, The ninth item is that life starts now, whatever stage you're at. So this psychotherapist says that we often postpone enjoying our lives while we wait to feel complete. But what if we just accept that we're never going to be a finished product, that we may always feel a little bit like an imposter because that's the way we've been taught to value ourselves. And if you accept that there will always be something lacking in life, that you're already actually enough today, then you can let the sunshine in. So this one actually is the one that reminded me the most of you, Charlie, because you're always saying that we need to accept that we're going to make mistakes and we need to just focus on living the best we can in the moment that we're in. And now I know that this is that point where you're going to surprise me and change all the rules and tell me how this,
1: is, how this isn't this is you at all. So. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going okay. to say yes. That, that comes the closest to lining up uh, with an approach that I, I identify with. Uh, being in the present moment, being open to this present moment, wanting to stay in this present moment, actively aware of not knowing everything that's involved in this present moment, but still enjoying what parts of it I am engaged with lovingly, sweet, you know? And as I remain in the next present moment and the next present moment, I get to live uh, connected and fresh and current. And whatever time it takes to process each of those gatherings of moments, I take time with it. I'm not in a rush. It's like I'm not swimming upstream and I'm not laying on my back floating downstream. I can swim up a little bit. I can swim to the side a little bit. I can play in an eddy if I want for a while. There's lots of different things that I, if I'm awake to myself, that I can vary my day, even though externally my day may seem kind of steady and routineish. What I'm doing on the inside is totally engaged.
0: Interesting. All right. Well, we are down to the last two. So uh, number 10 is to not fight your envy, but to sit with it. So, this is from a therapist by the name of Julia Bueno that says, envy is hardwired into us and it's an emotion that tells us what we really want or may even need. And she encourages people to explore their envy to understand what lies behind it. She believes that those feelings of envy deserve acknowledgement and compassion. So, what do you think about envy, Charlie? Charlie?
1: I think about envy the same way I think about all the characters' uh, traits that hurt us. Uh, Greed, envy, jealousy, uh, violence, all these uh, things. I don't want to run from them. But I certainly don't want to uh, tell myself that they're good for me. I don't want to deny them. I want to acknowledge if I feel envious, I do want to talk about that with someone I don't want to let go I know how to pull back the curtain and look what and and see what that no I don't I'm usually surprised that I feel envious or ashamed that I feel envious or guilty that I feel envious or worried that I feel envious so how do I pull back the curtain on envy when I'm surrounded by all these other shameful or distressing I don't I just start saying I I, I I just I always want what somebody else has, and that's that I tell myself that's just me, and I'm probably a bad person, and that's as far as I take it. And I think that the person who says like pull back the screen on the interview that's like saying to an alcoholic just don't drink. Oh seriously, how helpful is that? Number ten. Yeah. So you're you are in favor
0: of exploring it talking about it yeah
1: with somebody else not right have you ever been envious have you ever been jealous what did it feel like how did it work out not like I don't want to join the envy club where everybody just sits around going yeah I envy yachts yeah I envy swimming pools yeah I envy houses yeah I envy big tits I don't know (laughs) <laughs> That's the shock part I wanted to do for you. Yeah. Okay. A- <laughs> I know. Edit you out. <laughs> no, no, no. We're going to leave that one in. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways,
0: sorry. All right. We are down to number 11. And this is, I mentioned earlier, that we're going to come back around to trauma. So, This last point is that trauma is more common than you think, and you're not alone. And I was this is kind of what drew me into this article, Charlie, because this is something I was interested in because of something that I had listened to recently. And I have a podcast that is one of my favorite podcasts. Uh, and it's a sports re- sports podcast, but ostensibly, but they speak a lot about current issues and the values that are in some of our sporting uh, examples. And uh, I was listening to this podcast and they brought up Deshaun Watson. Now, we've talked about Deshaun Watson ourselves on no. one of our podcasts in the past. I think it was our first 10 randoms. Um cards mm-hmm. episode. Mm-hmm. For our international listeners, Deshaun's an American football player who has been accused of inappropriate conduct with 20-something massage therapists. And he has been excoriated for this in the U.S. press. However, he's also someone who has signed one of the most lucrative contracts to play football in our National Football League. And on this podcast that I was listening to, Charlie, somebody suggested that we should pause and consider that trauma is often buried and that people never face it or are forced to ignore it rather than deal with it. And so there was a plea from this person on this podcast that we don't excuse his behavior, but we focus on allowing him to deal with it because this person thought there's likely a trauma in his past that has caused him to engage in this behavior. And so for me, it was a good reminder that what we really want as an outcome for him is to acknowledge his bad behavior and for him to understand why it happened so he can heal and not do it anymore. And perhaps even in some way help the women that he traumatized to heal because he's dealing with it rather than just trying to go on with his life and play football again. So any thoughts around this? No.
1: (laughs) Well, okay. Seriously. Seriously, I mean, um, what you express is, is noble and, and, and open-minded and generous of spirit um on a practical level it'll take if he's traumatized and if this is behavior that is uh uh in reaction to experiences in his life and how he's chosen to deal with them no doubt there's no doubt that there's something that has malformed and something that is uh, out of alignment in that uh, individual's experiences and how he's processed pain okay I don't think that as a uh, public figure in a very public sport that does tend to be shown to very young, impressionable men, young men, that he should be out there and uh, misrepresenting what is acceptable and rewardable behavior. He should uh, agree. Yeah. But if he goes and he heals, which you suggest we all would like for him to happen, he A, wants to. Do, he has to want to do that as all We are. now he can say, "I did." We all know about that, you know. So it would take at least three years of honest self work for him to to be able to say, "I think I've grown enough to do some of the things that you just said." cuz who wants to go on an apology tour? We've seen movies about that where I yeah. I go and see all the women I heard. Yeah, no, it has yeah.
0: to be Yeah, it it has to be real. And right. I think you're right. I think he I think the NFL needs to give him time away from the game. That's to Give him A an opportunity time away yes. from the game. To give him a chance to fix some of the things that are going on inside of him.
1: Right. Again, that word is a tough one. Fix is a tough word. But I understand. Okay. Heal is a better word or at okay. least address That's in fair. some form Of fashion. Of mm-hmm. fashion. Um, if he feels fine about his behavior, he doesn't feel like he has anything to fix. That's part of the problem. Right, right. So all of this is going to take time to untangle. And if he tries to rush it or just, the I'm fine. I'm in my prime. Let me get back out and play the game that I was made to play. That's like an addict saying, you know, just let me keep doing my drug. I'm doing great. I've never been better. It's like, no, 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 no. There's, there's a social aspect to what you're doing that sends a bad message to people who don't need bad messages. And that's not your fault, but that's just the profession you chose and the behavior you chose and the profession and the limelight you're in don't match. We can't let that happen. Sorry. Sorry. Ethical people do not let that happen to impressionable young men. We have a social responsibility. Business owners have a social responsibility. They should. Absolutely. No, they do. And we are not holding them accountable either. That's true. You're right.
0: And the way we hold them accountable is by not. One of the ways. One of the ways is by not frequenting whatever their business is.
1: All right. How many people stopped going to the Patriots game after their owner got caught in a massage parlor? Doing I, what he's been I, doing I, for yeah, billions I'm not of saying years. it's happening.
0: I'm saying it's, that's what should
1: happen. Well, I'm just saying that man should be in therapy too. Yeah. All right, Charlie.
0: Anything you want to, uh, to close out on?
1: Gratitude. There you go. I, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to talk with you then to be your friend. I'm grateful for all the things that uh, we're trying, you know, not we, I I meet so many people who are trying. I meet so many good people who are leaning in and, and in doing what they can small things regularly, not just now and then small things regularly that they're committing to that are making a difference in their life. First and foremost, because they feel better about themselves. And secondly, They can see how it's beginning just to help other people move in, too. So it is a groundswell. And I want you to understand, I feel so grateful to be a part of it.
0: Well, I appreciate that. And uh, I would tell you that I feel the same way, but I was given some advice from a therapist that I need to really revel in my ingratitude. So I'm going to do that instead.
1: (laughs) All right. Thanks, Charlie. All right. Thank you, my friend. Be well. (laughs) Namaste.
0: Our show today was brought to you by the number 11. If you enjoyed the conversation, please tell 11 friends about it. If you don't have 11 friends, then watch the latest season of Stranger Things on Netflix and cheer on 11 as she fights the forces of evil. Then, while waiting for your stream to buffer, pull out your phone and rate, follow or subscribe, and review The Thinking Knot. You can find more of Charles's writings on his blog at owningourselves.com and more of my work at liveforwonder.com. Thanks for listening. We hope your journey is filled with wonder and that you never meet a stranger thing. Only a friend you haven't been introduced to yet. And when you're introduced, be good to each other.